Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first APGRD podcast episode of 2022. It's a huge privilege to be joined today by two members of a really exciting project, Reimagining Tragedy from Africa and the Global South, um, shortened to RETAGS, which may be familiar to you. Uh, the project is led by Professor Mark Fleischmann and Mandela Mbothwe and aims to understand how tragedy has been refigured in the post-colonial theatre and beyond. A quick introduction about both our guests. Mark Fleischmann is principal investigator on the project. He is a writer, director and academic, a professor at the Centre for Theatre, Dance and Performance Studies at the University of Cape Town and co-artistic director of Magnet Theatre. He's directed most of the nearly 40 Magnet Theatre productions since 1991 and we'll be talking about some of those in a moment. Mandela Mbothwe is co-investigator on the project and co-artistic director of Magnet Theatre. He's a senior lecturer at the Centre for Theatre, Dance and Performance Studies at the University of Cape Town and an acclaimed playwright, researcher, director, art teacher and theatre practitioner, creating productions in South Africa and abroad. He's also founder and artistic director of Mud and Fire Parables. Thank you so much to both of you. It's a yeah, real pleasure to, to have you here speaking with us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. So we'll start off with a couple of questions about the project more generally, just to kind of get our listeners familiar with what you've been working on, and then we'll see what conversations uh, come out of that between, between both of you. Um, so this is obviously a very complex and ambitious project. Retax has secured funding for five years, starting in 2019. So, you know, there's quite a lot of time to get very thorough results. Um, is there a particular reason why now might feel like an especially relevant time to be looking at these radical reimaginations of tragedy, um, specifically from an African perspective? Well, I, I, I think that is now the right time. I mean, uh, it's as good a time as any, I would think, to, to examine uh, what could be called a kind of foundational form of of the genre of theatre or the practice of theatre as understood from within the kind of uh, mainstream canon of theatre practice and theatre studies. And so our project is very interested in exploring uh, what I like to call the, the aftermath of tragedy. Aftermath understood perhaps more in the sense of Benjamin's idea of afterlife where things continue to have a life after they seem to have passed um, their, their sell-by date almost. And in this context, it's, it's both for me the aftermath of tragedy itself in the sense that um, it seems to be a form or a genre that, that uh, comes from somewhere else and has no, on the surface at least, no further value or uh, purchase in the context of uh, a post-colonial South Africa, on the one hand, and yet it persists, it, it, it continues, it has an afterlife um, in some way, and to understand how that afterlife functions or in what way. Because of the sheer number of productions that we find in post-colonial contexts in Africa in which tragedies have been adapted or in which plays that have been made in Africa have been called, named tragedies. So what, what really inspired me or, or piqued my interest was just the sheer volume of productions 
from the period of, of the kind of anti-colonial struggles from the 1950s really onwards, but definitely going back further than that, the sheer number of adaptations of Greek and Roman theater uh, tragedies in, in African contexts across the continent, but also um, the way in which the genre itself has been picked up by, by practitioners and theorists in Africa and, and reconceptualized or rethought through an African uh, lens. Uh, so that was one side of what I would describe as the aftermath of tragedy itself, but clearly it's also the aftermath of colonialism and apartheid. What, what does it mean now for, for practice and the discipline of theater studies itself? Um, Mandler might have his own version of this, but for me, I have spent my academic career deciding to distance myself as much as possible from what might be called mainstream theater practice in the mainstream canon. So if uh, the mainstream Western conception of drama suggested that there was, uh, the drama was something that was produced from a play text, then I was pushing for drama without playtexts. If uh, there was a division in, in Western theater practice between the spoken language theater and dance and, and musical theater, for example, then I was pushing for it all to be reassembled into one kind of interdisciplinary form. So constantly looking beyond the accepted definitions of the discipline and the practice as they had been inherited in uh, or, or transferred into the context um, in which I found myself in South Africa. And yet I was the professor of, of drama and then the professor of theater, depending on how we call the department. So I kept thinking, what does it mean to be a professor of theater who doesn't profess theater in some strange kind of way? And so in a funny kind of way, this is a reversal. It's saying, okay, what would it mean to go back to the very beginning of this certainly Western or European conception of theater, um, back to, to Aristotle, to the poetics, to the thing and say, okay, if, if tragedy is right at the beginning, what is tragedy for us? And so in that respect, it's not so much about kind of superficial application of a common sense idea that's a, that Africa is the tragic continent where things are going bad all the time and where people suffer all the time. I don't want to downplay the problems that, that we have to face on this continent, but my sense of the tragic is something wider and more complex than simply just being the common sense of, of, of everyday quotidian difficulty or the complexity of living in a post-colonial society. Manle, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. <laughs> It's always quite challenging to 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 speak after you after you've explained certain concepts. Um, well, I, I think for me, uh, I mean, when Mark uh, introduced me the project, the, this project for me, I think there are a couple of things that came into into my uh, that raised also my interest in into it. Uh, I think one of my desire was first and foremost to find if there was anything that existed in an African context that is tragedy uh, in a way by the definition of the tragedy in terms of Greek or Roman in, in, in a way. Did we have anything that is very close to that? 
Uh, and then the other interest, of course, for me was based on my desire of what I call the reclamation of the stolen memory is to try and go back and find the forms that existed of the dramatic forms or theoretical forms that existed within. This is pre-colonialism, actually, and, and in a way. And then, of course, was, is what Mark said, that why there was so much adaptation of the Greek in the post-colonial states in, in an African society or productions that were called tragedy in a way, what attracted that, um, those authors and writers in, in that. So, so that was my interest and it has not stopped. And I think that search has also not stopped. And then of course, uh, engaging with that research was to identify a project that will also allow those concepts to be at play in, in trying to find out exactly what is this tragedy. And, and I think the, the interest, I mean, my, my and, and also it's what uh, Mark referred to as post-colonial, post-apartheid stage that we are in, if, if you refer to it, it's where we are as a country uh, and, and, and what state that we are in as a country and how the forms of, of tragedy and, um, and, the, and this research might allow us to find new forms out of the state that we are in. And, and because of that, you know, the, the state of the collapsing house or the collapsing humanity in, in our country got me uh, attracted, I got attracted to it quite a lot. And, our, and I got attracted, of course, to the story of Telemachus in, in, in a way of dealing with that uh, and, and connecting that um, in the comes to, to Greek tragedy. And um, I mean, currently I'm in the process of creating various stages of investigating the idea of home, the idea of, of humanity, the idea of, you know, the adaptation in the thought of Telemachus, in a way you, it's, it's the mother who is left with the son. And in my adaptation is the son and the sister, the son and the daughter who are left alone at home. In, in a way, so I played in that. And the son's desire to go and seek for, for help from the father who's stuck somewhere in the wells, uh, in the between wells. So, so, so my, 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 my interest was it based on revenge and restoration. And as it found, uh, as one can found it in, similarly to the story of Telemachus in a way in seeking uh, and going to seek the father to help to fight the suttas, in, and in this case, the suttas is everything else that attacks the spirit of humanity. And in an African context, we call it Ubuntu. Simply means that a, a human is a human by other people, you know, in, in a way. So, so, so that has been my interest. But and of course, the, as we research more about it and try to, we continue finding things that are quite strong, similarly, which also speaks to the aesthetics itself the aesthetics of poetry, of songs, of chorus, of myths that are very close into, into my work and into my past work. And the idea of the world of the living and the world of the dead and, the, and their interconnectedness in a way, in an African understanding of, of the world themselves. So I was quite interested in that. I think what Mandla um, points to, there's two things that that I would pick up on. The first one is that is about the methodology of the project itself um, and the way we're planning to go about doing it or we are going about doing it. One of the, the, the project itself was divided into three 
different uh, work streams, if you like. Um, the first one was an exploration of the archive of adaptations of Greek tragedies from the period of anti-colonial, the anti-colonial period onwards. Um, and really trying to map a picture of all of these productions um, that had been done across the continent, putting them together in an archival form uh, with as much information, and then to conduct a certain uh, number of oral history interviews with people who were involved in those productions, so, so as to build up a sense, uh, a, a kind of archive, um, which might help us to understand why people seem so attracted to those texts um, in that period. The, the second, in that sense, the, the research is quite conventional. In the second um, strand of that was to produce our own tragedies, so to speak, or our own tragic productions um, in an attempt to explore the subject through performance itself. So there is a kind of what we might call a, a performances research or artistic research um, approach to, to doing this. So part of the grant allowed us to conceive of an, and stage four new works that would be not simply seen as, as just the presentation of an idea, but a process of unpacking the concepts um, that we were trying to explore through the research. So it wasn't a case of doing the research and then, as it were, staging the results, but more using the performance processes themselves as the modality of the research. And so the first of those, which we can talk about later, was, was a production of uh, based on Antigone called Antigone Not Quite Quiet, which was done in 2019. The second of those was the production Mandler was talking about, Ixela Lechiza, which is the sword of the herb or the herb sword or some something like that which um, was meant to be staged during 2020 um, but became derailed in the process by the COVID pandemic um, and when the performance was supposed to happen it couldn't uh, we were in a lockdown phase and so we had to at very short notice um, migrate the project onto into a digital form um, and think of how to reconceive of it. And, and Mandela can talk himself later about how he went about doing that and thinking about how to suddenly turn something that was meant to be staged live in front of an audience into a digital uh, performance. Next year, at the beginning of 2021, he will restage the production in, an, in another version um, with an audience, hopefully, and, and a much bigger cast of, of people. And, and that will mean that in essence, we will only end up doing three productions because one of the productions will have been both in the original digital form and then in the live performance form. And then in 2023, uh, we're working through 2022, but in 2023, we will be staging the final project, which I will be directing, which is uh, a production based on Oedipus at Colonus which is in the Theban trilogy, the play that follows Antigone, but in terms of chronology, obviously happens before Antigone. So, so that's the, the, the structure or the, the second phase of it is the making of tragedies um, in order to conduct the research. Now, what is clear from that is um, there's a third phase, which, which we can talk about later, which is the phase that happens 
when we think about tragedy outside of the theater and how the tragic form itself might be used as a lens to, or a prism through which to look at the condition of the post-colonial itself and the kinds of experiences of everyday life in the period post-apartheid um, in South Africa, which is certainly um, not entirely post um, the condition of colonialism and certainly um, has an afterlife which, which um, continues to have a, a, a quite a difficult impact on a lot of people, majority of the population. So, so that's the third thing. But coming back to Mandela's production, what I wanted to highlight was quite clearly the story of Telemachus out of the Odyssey is not a tragedy in, in classical terms. It's a, it could be described coming from an epic form. But in many ways, the epic form uh, relates very strongly to an African context. So there's a lot of similarity between the epic structure, the Homeric extended narrative poem, if you like, told by a teller, sung by a teller, sung by a singer, something like that, uh, and, or the bardic tradition, if you like, and an African, uh, the telling of African stories, um, extended poetic forms in Africa, etc. So there's an aesthetic overlap. But I also think that if you, one of the things that inspires the pro project beyond the kind of Western paradigm and beyond the conception of tragedy as outlined in Aristotle's poetics is Wally Shoyinka's understanding of the fourth stage in an essay that he, that he wrote in the 1960s, which produces a kind of blueprint, if you like, for what might be termed African tragedy. And it's a conception of tragedy which is built very much on a Yoruba kind of cultural framework, if you like. Now, in that essay, there are two aspects to it. One is the kind of way in which Shoyinka tries to link uh, the gods of the Yoruba pantheon with the gods of the Greek pantheon, as it were, the Greek gods, and the way that he links to uh, Ogun and Dionysus and to Nietzsche in, in various ways. And I think from a South African perspective or Southern African perspective, that is not so much our greatest interest because as Mandela has already pointed out, we don't have gods in that form. Uh, we have ancestral um, beings in, in the African cultures in Southern Africa. What, but what the second thing in that um, essay is the notion of transition. And the fact that the world has, has, the cosmos, if you like, is divided between the world of the living, the world of the dead, and the world of the not yet born. And these three worlds are not so much spread out geographically on a plane, but kind of coexist one on top of the other. And, and there's an interpenetration between them. But Shoyinka describes uh, when things are working well within this cosmic whole, the transition from one world to the other um, is, is clean and clear and there's a, an easy flow as it were. So one passes away from this living world and passes on through the space of the fourth stage, the space of transition into the next world and so on and so forth. But when there's a, there's a clogging of that system, when there's a disturbance or an interruption, then um, some kind of uh, action is required. And that action is a kind of ritualistic event in which 
the 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 votary or the the shaman or whatever must travel down into the space of transition to unblock the pipe so to speak so that people can move on and and that takes a great deal of courage and and there is risk involved uh, but it, but what always happens is this re-emergence and and the tools or the methods of going through this what in the Greek would be the catabasis and the anabasis, the, the, the going down into the underworld and coming back up again, are ritual forms, symbolic forms, song, uh, rituals, dance perhaps, ways of responding to the space in between. Uh, but, and there's always a, this kind of choral component, this community-based component, and then the individual who steps out and goes off on this journey and then comes back again. But the individual is always supported by the community and so on and so forth. So I think those forms, that basis for what Shoyinka describes as African tragedy, interlocks very closely with the story of Telemachus from the Odyssey. And that is why I think that Mandla's reworkings can be described as a form of tragedy, even though the origin of it was in an epic and not a tragic source, if you like. Yeah, I just wanted to maybe, I mean, there was something that you touched on. I mean, in my, in my head, because I don't want to speak about as if the things are definite, even if the, the stages that Mark refers to in terms of the productions uh, are definite that after this production, there'll be production two, there'll be production three, and all those kinds of things. In, 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 in my head, I think what also COVID have brought forth was a, a, an opportunity to unpack quite more of the how to engage with 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 the theme and with with with, with, the, with the concept of, of of tragedy in in relation to the story of, of the in terms of the epic kind of of aesthetic so for, for i mean for me hence i even next next year when i when i deal with it i mean currently the the work have evolved into a digital form which is also is going to be in an episodic way uh, as a way of trying to to accept that the, the, the wholeness is not reached yet of what the production is. And currently we are, are just in the final stage of creating the work as a, as a musical score or a musical of, of, of a long poem uh, that comes in different tracks. And to also to see that as an audio form that I think comes from the idea of orality that I think both practices of theater in a, in a Greek kind of space and in an African society of oral tradition of storytelling. So I think my, my interest is drawn also more and more into the aesthetics that are overlapping and that interlocked. And I want to explore that quite a lot and see what it brings forth in, into the idea of, of tragedy in terms of looking it through the eyes of uh, uh, global South and through um, in an African context. And, and, and I mean, Mark spoke quite a lot about also about, about Wallace Oyinga's fourth stage idea and the, and, the, and the African tragedy. And for me, that, that at least started beginning to reclaim tragedy in an African context that it existed. In, and right from my beginning, when I started interacting with it, I wanted to find out, did we have something or we are just... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm never interested really in adaptations. I, you know, I also don't believe that it did not exist. You know, it might be as, you know, a stimulus 
for us to dig deep uh, in understanding what else existed uh, in, in an African context, in, in a way. I think Wally Solinga brings it quite closer to, particularly when he talks about the world in between and the rituals and the creative aspect that help us to continue. And, uh, and it goes back to where we are as, you know, that at least currently in South Africa, there's a sense that we are stuck in between two, in between two stages in, in a way. And I think the tragedy element of it and, and the rituals that it offers is to find ways of moving forward creatively or ritualistically or both. So, so, so that, that's my interest and I see it as an evolving thing. I mean, next year, Yuchadeletriza becomes, I mean, the title of it also suggests the style that I'm interested in, which is more into, you know, I call it the lectures at the sermon, that, that, that there's, quite, there's quite a lot of, of stories that has been sung. Uh, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of chorus work, there's color, and it's going to be highly poetic, uh, um, in, in a way, and how that story has been, um, it's been performed or been presented in front of the audience. Yeah, thank you so much, both of you. That actually leads really nicely to something I was going to, to ask about. So you've both, you've both kind of, yeah, spoken very, very clearly, very eloquently about this idea of, of perhaps a, a tragic mode rather than a, a tragedy that's bound up with very closed uh, classical definitions um, and sort of, yeah, the, the, the need to look beyond that. And I was just struck by a particular phrase actually in your, your project overview for Retex, describing the exploration of moments of tragic excess and particularly how these function in spaces outside the theatre. So kind of looking at a broader, uh, broader kind of political context, perhaps. Is that something that you'd, yeah, you'd be happy to, to talk about? First of all, I, I think that our thinking at the moment, um, and, and to some extent inspired by Atta Quayson's recent book on tragedy in post-colonial literature, the idea of moving beyond tragedy as catastrophe to tragedy as pathos and, and understanding uh, that and and he's building off the work of Blair Hoxby and and in Blair Hoxby's research, which has nothing to do with the post-colonial condition necessarily. His his book points to the fact that in the history of tragedy over the centuries, the form as outlined in the poetics and that what you called classical form occupies just a small portion of the history of tragedy, and that in fact there's so many different kinds of performance that follow on from that from that definition that take bits and pieces and reassemble them and think of them differently and and that the the, the focus on the hero and the the catastrophic events of an oedipus or whatever is just so restrictive in some ways to an understanding of what tragedy is or can be and and so i've been very interested in this idea of pathos and and I was looking at that through uh, the work of Bernard Waldenfels, a uh, German philosopher. Um, and Waldenfels, uh, writing about the phenomenology of, of, of the alien, speaks of pathos as, as representing the thing that happens to us, that, that attacks us, surprises us, affects us without us willing it. So it's not the willful action of somebody who commits deeds in the way that, so it's not, 
willful or unconscious action of, of a person like Oedipus who does certain things and therefore must deal with the consequence of those things. It is something that is happening to us and affects us in some kind of way, often in a surprising, um, unanticipated way. And, and what um, Waldenfels introduces is the, the idea of a temporal shift or a, a gap between the, the moment in which the pathos itself arises and the response. They don't follow on immediately. What happens, he says, is a condition of what he calls diastasis. And in that diastasis, there is a, a kind of gap that opens or a separation between the pathos and the response. Now, diastasis in a medical set, uh, context is a condition that happens after pregnancy where the, the abdominal muscles get stretched to such a degree that they don't come back together again. And that what separates the internal organs from the outside world is just a very thin layer of connective tissue. So it's like the whole inside of, of, of the person is exposed to the, to the outside world. Um, and that gives rise to a sense of vulnerability, um, uh, you know, and sensitivity and all, all of those kinds of things. Now, for me, the condition that we, this post-colonial condition sits in this space of diastasis. It sits in the space between political liberation per se, the moment of um, the end of apartheid in the South African context in 1994, and the notion of a freedom to come. So following a Fanonian kind of conception, freedom isn't something that arrives with political liberation. Freedom is something that must be worked at after liberation itself. And freedom sits in the future somewhere. So what Fanon seems to suggest is that we will not achieve that freedom until we invent a new condition of humanity. One that involves everyone, not just the, the people um, that were previously oppressed and now are being uh, magnanimously allowed entry into the, the world of the human, but a reconception of what it means to be human at all. In, you know what I mean? And, and freedom will not come until that, is, that work has been done. But in that space between the pathos, the suffering of colonialism and apartheid on the one end, and this freedom to come, which is the response on the other, is this gap in which we are like exposed, in which our insides um, are exposed, in which we suffer the, the consequences of exposure in a world to what Mandler earlier was describing to me as a constant state of attack. So, so you, Mandler said to me earlier, you can't restore and if the attack is continuous. So the, the neo-colonial condition as it were is a continuous attack on our sense of or our capacity to restore, our capacity to be human again, or to reconceive of the human. And it's in that space that I think the, that is the condition itself. Now in South Africa, to answer your question, in recent times, the, this state of exposure, this state of being in pathos, this state of, 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 of suffering has, has led to a number of extreme kind of events, um, responsive events which don't really have so much the shape of a, a kind of programmatic politics, but they are kind of expressions of rage or anger and dissatisfaction. Um, and, and they are quite performative in the way that they are expressed in the world. So 
So in South Africa, and, and particularly around the, you would have the, the roads must fall uh, period um, with the road statue at, at our university, um, which then became an international phenomenon. Um, you have the fees must fall um, campaigns for free education that followed on from the roads must fall. We've had recent occasions of, of major looting incidents where people just uh, kind of started to break into stores and, and kind of redistribute um, goods. Um, these things, these moments, um, obviously are, are fundamentally, um, these are what I describe as these kinds of moments of extreme transgression, which have a kind of tragic tenor to them or some sense of the tragic involved. And trying to understand them within a framework which, which can be described as, as, as tragic or using the modalities of tragedy to try to get a handle or a purchase on what is going on amongst people because these events often lead to conditions that they don't, they don't change the situation immediately. It's not like, yes, okay, the statue comes down, right? There's no statue, but the conditions don't change fundamentally, right? The, the changes are glacial, you know, I don't, I don't want to expect that there's no change. They just change, but it's glacial. It's, it's not like you pull down the statue and suddenly everything is, is, is changed. It isn't. So, so these things often have a way of rebounding on the people who perform them themselves. In, in, in some way, they ha it, it has an effect. The, the people in power, the people, the elite groups, they don't really, they inconvenience through the events perhaps, but they, they don't suffer in the long term. The people who are actually enacting these movements or these um, things are often the ones who actually feel the effects most keenly. So one of the aspects of the project that we are moving forward to, in a sense, pivoting between the theater and the world outside of the theater is to explore these moments of what I've called tragic excess through a kind of performance studies lens to try to describe them as tragic in events um, and, and to understand them in that context. And, and to that effect, we've, we, we've just uh, employed a, a new junior research fellow, Carla Lever, who, who is already doing a project on, on protest and the performativity of protest. And she's conducting interviews with a whole lot of activists and artists who were engaged in these movements over the last few years and who are now looking back and reflecting on where they are now after those events and how they perceive what they perceived was gained and lost in, in, in the midst of all of that. And, and we are hoping to then be able, because so much of this project is, is, is archival, it's sitting on a, on a digital platform um, on a, in a particular digital repository, that there will now be a part of that repository that is tragedy in the theatre and a part of the repository that is tragedy outside of the theatre. No, thank, thank you. That, um... That sort of depiction of the sort of neo-colonial diastasis in particular, I think, is really going to really going to stick with me. That's an extremely thought-provoking uh, way way of addressing it. Um, just one one final question from from me. Um, certainly, a few of our APGRD podcast listeners will have been catching up on some of the Retag's guest speaker series um, over the past year, particularly given recent appetite for uh, for online online intellectual content. So I'm aware that kind of this sense of, of outreach is clearly a very big priority for the project. 
maybe you could talk a little bit about the broader narratives and, and partnerships that you're you're working on or that you can envisage just to get kind of quite a diverse team of, of voices involved. Well, one of the, the things that um, inspired or motivated us to apply for this money um, beyond the, the actual research itself was um, a kind of capacity building kind of uh, uh, intention. And, and uh, we were very interested in thinking about uh, exposing students in South Africa to speakers, particularly speakers from, from a global South perspective who the, the South African students don't often get a chance to hear um, through the project um, by, by creating platforms. Um, and by, in the first instance, we wanted to bring people to South Africa so that they could engage with the students face to face. And clearly that's one aspect of the project that, that hasn't happened because COVID interfered. So we had to quickly recalibrate and decide how we were going to do it. And, um, and so we introduced the, spe the online speaker series late-ish this year, uh, 2021, um, to try to, to change that situation and, and at least give the opportunity for South African students to, to hear the ideas of, of international academics. And so we, we managed to do a number of them this year, um, one of them being Atta Kraysen, who I've already spoken from from Stanford, uh, and, and, and a, a, a reading of a new play by Femi Oshofisan, uh, an adaptation of Medea called Medaille, which we did a reading of, uh, like a, a staged, digitally staged reading of it, and, and then a, a session with uh, Professor Oshofisan about his, his work on the text. And next year, we have a number lined up of, of possible um, uh, speakers. So I'm, I, I certainly think that this is something that is going to go forward into 2022. Um, and, and hopefully that program will be picked up by people um, and will be one way that they can engage with the project. But, but as I said, there, there is also this online repository called Ibali which is um, a, a kind of built on an America S platform. It's, a, it's an online digital exhibition space, which has um, archived all of um, the productions information from the adaptations of tragedies that we've discovered, but also the processes of the productions. So you can go onto that site and you can literally follow the rehearsal processes and the conversations going on in those rehearsal processes for the production of Antigone, Not Quite Quiet, and Ikele Kriza. So, so um, you know, what we're hoping to do is that that, and, and that actually introduces another leg of this project. I'm sorry to keep expanding this, but one of the, the a big part of the project is this digital humanities aspect and the question about how do you archive process, theatrical process, as opposed to simply the outcomes of the theatrical process. So one aspect is put the play on in a digital form, but really to try to see how we can archive the process of making so that that becomes part of the research process itself and available to researchers. And, and, and so to that end, we have a team of people who are, who are really focused on thinking about the archive within the discipline of theater and performance studies as, as, as a way of not only storing um, research outcomes, 
but also a way of conducting research itself. Thank you so much, Mark and Mandler. If any listeners would like to take a look at the online repository, um, that sort of evolving archive uh, that was just mentioned, that is abali, I-B-A-L-I dot U-C-T dot A-C dot Z-A. Um, do also please visit the Retags website to find out more about the project. Retags, R-E-T-A-G-S dot U-C-T dot A-C dot Z-A. Mark and Mandler, thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to hearing more about the evolution of your project. Thank you.